Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And Fred and I were talking about what happens when we defer maintenance. And of course, there is a, um, a very obvious answer. News. But <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do this. Yeah, no, I was on the news all this week. Uh, of I, I always want to say the wrong city, but I think it's uh, Jackson, which I should remember given who I'm talking to. Um, yeah, Mississippi, yeah. and and I don't know how far and wide the broadcasts are, but basically uh, this morning they were talking about that the primary cause of all the problems they're having and is that they've deferred maintenance and you know replacing older systems and updating equipment and just basically keeping their water treatment facilities and distribution systems working. They've just patched it, and but it's not just been this week that they lost the ability to produce water and told like all the businesses in town to shut down and <laughs> no schools, everybody's at remote and they they're handing out bottled water to everybody that they can find. Um, and that, you know, one guy was on the news yesterday is he poke, he had a water bottle and he poked some holes in it and took a quick shower because he didn't want to shower with this water that was basically bad. And, <laughs> and, and the, the reports I'm getting aren't anything technical by any means is on, on national news, but it's all being pointed to that for decades and decades, they said, no, let's not spend money on this system, you know? And, and so they just. Now they're repeatedly paying the price of not having potable water and not having enough water in, in their system to even do things like put out a fire. They just don't have enough water in the system. And that's kind of the poster child for me of, well, if you defer maintenance, you might get away with it this week, but it will still not be working. <laughs> you know? Actually, it's a really good poster child because you talked about decades of neglect. It actually, you know, perverse way it still motivates people to defer maintenance especially if the issues are going to rear their ugly heads decades from now because the manager who oversaw that decision to defer maintenance or the politician who who oversaw oversaw that decision to defer maintenance decades ago they're not on the hook for it now it's actually this that's one of the many problems at least people see with this sort of stuff is you know, what's in it for me? If I was to defer maintenance, it's going to affect people 30 years from now and not me. Yep. And it's a wicked problem that humankind is yet to really get on top of. Well, is there's a lot of motivations for people in different positions and what budgets they have and what decisions they have. But it's, and I've seen it over and over again, is that they'll wait until something's urgent and then deal with it. And it may or may not be the most important thing, but it's urgent. And it's the, you know, five phone calls on a Friday afternoon. Oh, we got to solve this problem. But that's only five phone calls out of the 50,000 other things they really should do to avoid getting those five phone calls you know, kind of thing next week. And, uh, well, you've seen that it's a two by two matrix and it's uh, urgency and importance are on the axis. And, you really don't want to live in the world where everything's urgent and very important because then you're 
you're just scrambling from one disaster to the next and barely keeping up and things will slip through and fail and and you just can't get there. But if you address the important things before they're urgent, then you just don't have that many urgent, important things that occur. It's this preventative thing is it goes plays. I don't know. It, it's frustrating because I run into it even here in my own neighborhood. We have our own water system and it's just frustrating. <clears throat> the idea though, it, what you're broaching, broaching here, Chris, is that it's, you know, well, if I can get through my term or I can, get my budget aligned or I it's the reward system is too shallow and too narrow. Um, in my opinion. Exactly. But it's, you, you raise a good point with the whole two by two matrix where you have urgency and importance on one on, sorry, on, on different axes, organizations that get themselves into trouble, are those which routinely have important issues that aren't treated urgently and urgent issues, which aren't important. So what you want to have is, of course, you don't want to have any important issues in a way. You want to, and when we say important, of course, a lot of things are important, but we don't want to have, um, we don't want to have scenarios where we continually have to fight fires. Well, I mean, the poster child is the example. Is you don't. It's important that you have potable water in your city for one hundred and fifty thousand people, and so you're. Mm-hmm people and your business can stay healthy and and productive. That, to me, it's important. It's kind of why we pay all this money to have water systems. Um, come on, that's important. And they're failing. That's right. But uh, from the decision-making perspective, if, if they, if the decision-makers didn't see that as an urgent problem, then that's the problem. That's this thing. You don't want to have scenarios where... Um, Important things aren't urgent, and urgent things aren't important. So, that this, the, the classic, if we're talking about textbook scenarios, you, it is uh, what those decision makers once saw as urgent was cutting costs now, or you know, uh, essentially looking good in my term now. That's what that's what mm-hmm. they urgently focused on. Well, that's but what's important yeah. is potable drinking water for the foreseeable future. Right, and it's a different mindset is the cities and towns that have perfectly good working water systems have folks in them that understand that that's their goal is their goal is not to it the important goal is to create good water and and make that available throughout the city and not to only balance my budget at the cost of everything else. It's right. There's a primary goal and vision. There's a purpose. And you've talked about that is you got to understand in an organization, what is your purpose? What are you trying to accomplish here? It's not so I get promoted or I get the new parking spot or I get to move into a new neighborhood. Those are secondary in my mind is if you don't have a clear picture of what you're trying to accomplish, all the other stuff is, is kind of getting in the way or is in the way. Um, right. Well, the idea is that you do get that additional bonus or that better car park or whatever it is you're, you're, you're pursuing once you do stuff that is genuinely valuable to the organization. You want to encourage good behavior, good performance, um, valuable performance. There's nothing wrong with aspiring to, to seek promotion, but it, what hap, what, where it goes wrong is if your personal worth or the perceived personal personal worth for an organization comes at the expense of organizational value. 
Um, well, yeah. Well, the hard part here is in the the issue I see it as is that um, when reliability works well, when your equipment is well maintained, it's not in national news, right? <laughs> but but you know, it's just it's not. not national news. But it's never going to be in national news for those scenarios where the decision to defer maintenance is going to happen decades from now. It will be in the national news, but not when you care about it. Right. And that's, but the issue is, is that to me, I think the mechanism that occurs is that when, when a product is launched and it works, right. And we're, we're just not inundated with field failures and everything else. And you do that for a while, then it's like, oh, we got that. We don't have to pay attention to it anymore. And HP did this, right? They spent a decade getting a handle on reliability and making really solid components and parts and systems and, and CEO spent every, you know, just focused on it over and over and over again. They put up big systems to track everything. And they said, okay, did that. We're good now. And three years later, they're back where they were. They're, you know, tripled their failure rates and, and right. said, all right, now we got to do cost cutting. We got to do this. We got to do that. And it's w without a clear, conscious focus on the importance of it and that it stays relevant and, and it just disappears. And then it's, it's, oh yeah, we... It's just lip service after that point. And, oh, I can defer it. And that feeds into what you're talking about, Chris, is like, well, that'll, I'll get promoted before that thing fails. So I'm out of here. You know, when right. I don't have to fix it on my watch. And it's that trigger, I think, of when things are working, you assume that they will continue to work with it. But there's this thing called second law of thermodynamics. I heard about that somewhere in some college course somewhere. It will deteriorate your system. <laughs> <laughs> it just will happen. Right. And it's not free, right? You got to put energy into a system to keep it running. And as you know, you were telling me before we started, you, you're you looking forward to getting your truck back from various maintenance that it needed. But we can make systems that, you know, what's the, the Voyager system out in space? It's out beyond the solar system now and it's still working. Mm -hmm. It's like... Not a lot of maintenance happening on that system. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's, uh, you could say it's a simple system, but they did take it seriously. Yeah. Now, what, what can a person do? Uh, I mean, you've heard me say it before, and I'm sure many of our listeners have, is, you know, don't waste the opportunity presented when there's a good disaster. Right? If you're in an organization and they go, why did this occur? And you point to, here's the study, here's the research. Well, we've deferred maintenance for 15 years, and that's why the system is failing every day. Um, and you don't have any spare parts. You don't have anybody trained to know how to fix it because you got rid of all of them. Um, that's why we can't keep this thing running that's a good disaster to say, hey, we actually need to invest in maintenance. But here's the opportunity with national news of a city water system with the fingers all being pointed at repeated decisions to defer maintenance. They go, you don't want to be like them. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be the one pointed to, and they're calling up former mayors. They're calling anybody up that's alive that, you know, has been in that system and getting them on the news and saying, hey, how come you push that off? You don't want a camera in your face for this. Come on, let's get this right. Yeah, yeah, and accountability is always good. So, yeah, you never let a good disaster go to waste. is is a good approach for reliability engineers. It's it's a hard sell though. It's fear mongering, right? And but it's I think it can be 
turn so that it's this is let's reemphasize what's important and what it takes to continue to deliver on what we think is the most important thing that we should be doing. And, you know, if the if the organization looks at all that and goes, oh, nah, we we know how to do reliability. We can defer maintenance. It's we over engineered it. It's time to move on. You're not going to help that group. But if they finally say, yeah, you're right. It does take energy to keep the system running because we don't want to be like this, this water system. Um, that's an opportunity in my mind, but it's really hard to, to scare people into doing reliability unless it happens to them on their watch. And it comes down to those soft skills that we often talk about. Um, there are a lot of reliability engineers shoot themselves in the foot by the fear mongering. You talk about fire and brimstone. If you don't do this, everyone's going to die. Um, we don't, that doesn't, doesn't win too many friends. Nope. Um, but also you, what you don't want to do is go in there and, and uh, you don't want to waste the opportunity um, that a fantastic disaster gives you. Uh, but you might want to go in there with what it is you're proposing to do. So if you were to go into, if you worked at a utility across North America or the world and you see this spectacular disaster in a county nearby or a, or a jurisdiction nearby, you say, hey, look, we are in a not dissimilar space to these guys over here. This is what's just happened to them. We are running the severe risk of this happening to us in the very short term. Uh, here are some things that we can do to address this, not only now, but moving forward. That's a more measured conversation, more measured tone to have, um, where you, you don't focus on how terrible everyone has been up until this point. You just want to highlight the, the stakes and then say, this is what I suggest we do and go from there. And that's not going to win every uh, board meeting, um, but it's not going to uh, get you kicked out the door because you're that guy who just chest beats and nothing else. Yeah. Well, there's a variation of that that I prefer is uh, you say, well, here's, you know, here's the similarities. Here's, we, we're both doing these similar things and we're, in a similar circumstance, here's the conditions that are right. Here's our deferred maintenance, you know, schedule that's been underfunded, just like theirs. Theirs went a little too far. We're close, or we're here's the risk that we're facing. Right? There's part mm -hmm. of it that way, but there's also here's the things we've been doing right. And if you might be in an organization that has a very short deferred maintenance list, and go, you know, it's another opportunity to to reinforce that to say, hey, look. We're in a very similar circumstance. We've got similar equipment, whatever. This is what happened to them. Here's the root cause of what I, we've understand is what, what was the underpinning of that. We work in a good a company that understands we don't want to be there. And we're doing this, 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 and this right. And just reemphasize that the sustained training and maintenance and spares and the, the work that we're doing to keep our systems running is saving us a ton of money and staying out of mm -hmm. the spotlight kind of thing. It's an opportunity on, on both cases. One is to recognize that we're on a similar path and we're heading in the same trajectory. We're just behind them and we have time to do something about it. Or it's reinforced that, you know, all this stuff that we don't talk about every day, we're actually doing this because we don't want to be like them. You know, we're, we, and it's working. Good job. It, there's nothing wrong with saying that too. In in the in the response to somebody else's disaster, um, provided that it is working. 
Yeah, no, and, and it's always going to be a mix, I think. And, and there's opportunities for improvement, but it's it's recognize the parts that are going well, you know, because the first question you're going to get when you say, hey, we're on this risk, was why hasn't it happened to us yet? And he says, you have to do your homework and say, but we are doing this, this, and this right. Um, we could do better. And here's the opportunity to, to even improve our game a bit better so that it just becomes a very remote possibility that we have these problems. Um, part of it is understanding where you're at. It's not always that, oh, we get bad parts, we're going to, all systems going to melt and all this other good stuff. It's like, no, I, I agree with you, Chris. He's got to have a plan of what would you do different? What, what do we need to focus on? Where do we need to invest and why and justify it? But I think mm -hmm. you equally need to come in with, here's the stuff we are doing well. Uh, and right. because if you don't highlight what's working, it then becomes something that people just don't pay attention to anymore. It loses, it goes into the fabric of what's going on and, and it's not considered for investment or for promotion or for, you know, accolades or for just continuation. It's like, oh, yeah, eh, whatever. We don't pay attention to that. We don't care about that. And eventually that just gets written out of the organization. I think we both furiously agree that we don't want to have essentially the message being, look, because you idiots haven't listened to me, we are now here. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of reliability engineers, whether they admit it or not, have that strategy. Oh, yeah. just, I've seen it way too many times and I've done it myself and it doesn't work. I can tell you that it just doesn't work. Yeah. It's, it's, um, even if you're right, <laughs> it just doesn't work. No. Um, being right doesn't necessarily mean you'll get the, uh, get the answer you need. Now, well, part of it is, is we got to listen to our own techniques and processes and best practices, you know, is the preventative mindset. If we can, work with the design teams and work with the, the operations teams and make it very clear that, you know, you pay me now or you pay me later. And if we create a robust design or we create a, a solid maintenance system that prevents problems, we all win. Right. Mm. I don't have to run around all, you know, 24 seven addressing stuff and we're not dealing with a flood of failed products in the field or, you know, bad product going out the door. Um, we don't want that, right? You know, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but there's going to be a trade-off, right? We can't shut down the plant 24-7 to do maintenance 365 days a year because then we don't make products. So what is the right balance? And what's the right priority? Not doing it except when we have failures is a very bad practice. <laughs> and here's why. <laughs> That's a rule. Right? And... Here's what we're proposing. Let's let's set up this system right from the start that we're doing all of these activities where it makes sense and where we, where it has payback and where it's uh, effective to prevent problems. And this right. is how much time it takes. Can you deal with that? Because if I spend an hour once a week doing this activity, you saved eight hours of downtime at once a month. All right. Right. So it's it. I think it's the opportunity to say, yeah, we need to use our own skills and knowledge and present it in a business case. We've talked about that a number of times, but it's when the opportunity arises, when something similar to our our, our industry, our business or whatever we're doing in, in 
deferred maintenance affects a lot of people. Uh, it's part of the process of so many systems. Um, when it makes national news, then it's an opportunity to have those discussions and, and raise awareness of it because it's in the news. And it, it may not be clear how it relates to us, but if you list all the jobs and how much money you got to do deferred, California has got like a PG&E. They were looking at all their deferred maintenance and it led to all these wildfires, right? Right. And they're looking at it now going, our deferred maintenance just for the electrical main transmission lines is like $40 billion or something like that. We don't have anywhere, whatever their number is, we don't have anywhere near the budget to do that this year. It'll take us 10 years um, minimum to even address the top t tier of this stuff. And it, it just begs the question, where have you been for the last 40 years? Right. <laughs> you know? And those kind of things are just irritating as I'll get out when you look at them in hindsight. And I, that's the kind of case studies and discussions that in my mind trigger going like in our local water system is, is all right, what is your preventative maintenance program here? What is, you know, they've deferred yet again. I saw it in the minutes last week, uh, you know, fixing valves and they know firsthand that if you don't fix, if the valves in our main water distribution system don't work and there's a leak, you can't isolate that section so you can fix the leak without losing a ton of water. So instead they have to shut the water down for the whole system, which causes all kinds of other problems. And in order to address the, the leak in an area where they have a valve, but they have an ex it just simply exercising the valve keeps it functional. Once a year, turn the valve, turn it back. If you don't do that, it won't turn when you need it to. Well, the, the, don't ever underestimate the uh, frustration and irrationality of gambling addicts. It's a human thing. I mean, the, throughout <laughs> the evolution of, of animals and mankind, there has never been gambling. There's been risk-taking, so on and so forth, mm -hmm. when you decide, you know, where cavemen had to choose whether they try and kill the woolly mammoth and have a month's worth of food or the easy-to-kill deer. Um, and have and, days uh, worth, you know. Yeah. Right. That's as far as we, our brains evolved when it came to, came to gambling. Now you've got sports teams and horse racing and all sorts of stuff, which has no meaningful outcome on your quality of life in terms of which horse does or does not win. Um, <laughs> but we now, we have, our brain isn't wired to deal with this, which is why we have this thing called gambling addiction. And it essentially means that people are irrational. They, um, they live for the slight hope they're going to become an instant millionaire uh, and ignore the rational evidence to the contrary. Uh, let's not forget that mm -hmm. in yeah. the decision-making process of these of these uh, flawed human beings. There's, there's an allure to just uh, hoping that this is going to come off in spite of the best uh, best evidence to the contrary. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's a thing. Oh, it uh, is, yeah. No, I, I remember and, a couple of years ago having a discussion with the guy that was holding the purse strings you know, for maintenance of our main pump that moves the water up to our tanks so it goes into our distribution system. And he hadn't been in the pump in the pump house. He hadn't been on the plant hardly ever. And I got a tour of it when I first got on the in the into the community and into the system. And it's like this thing's shooting water across the room. I think that's a leak. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the yep. water guy is like, yeah, but we don't have money to fix it. 
Well, what if that fails? Oh, then I can't pump water and the system will go dry in about two days or in a day and a half and we won't have water. And Right. Okay. Do you have a spare pump? Do you have the seals? Do you have anything? Oh, no, no, no. They just, they don't want to budget for any of that stuff. And it was just, so I took a picture of it, you know, a movie of it basically and showed it. He wouldn't go down there and look at it. And he says, look, you're pumping in a gallon against the wall. <laughs> Right. And this room is going back into the creek for every gallon you pump up the hill. And you're paying the electricity bill for that. And if you fix that, our electric bill goes down. Oh, yep. okay. I get it. And of course, then the next week the pump failed, just outright, just stopped working. Right. And he, we didn't have any parts or anything else. And so the, our water master at that time then had to drive like 300 miles and pay three times as much to get the the pump that would fit the existing system, which was rare. And, right, of course it is. And, as, and so we, after that, it was an example of a great disaster. And I said, we need two pumps. You know, Let's buy one of these systems from a reputable pump house, you know, company that makes really good pumps. Danfoss comes to my mind as being a really good system. And the skid that they come on has two pumps. You run one one week and you run the other one the other week. And you maintain the one that's not running <laughs> and you have a backup and you can always, it's just way more efficient. Oh, it's going to cost them. Like we just spent $4,000, you know, for the seal for this pump that we had paid way more for to get <laughs> just mm -hmm. to keep it running. And it's still leaking, <laughs> you know, come on, you got to fix this. And so now they have the new system and it hasn't presented any issues whatsoever. And, but it's new, right? It's only a couple of years old. Right. But it's just reinforcing that all the time is now you just can't live like this. And now we've got old pipes and old valves and they're not doing the maintenance on the valves. And they couldn't even find three of the valves. They said, we think there's three <laughs> of them on here in an old map we have, but we can't find them. <laughs> It's like, all right, well, you haven't been exercising them. Might be a mute nope. point when you open it up. Right. But anyway. Might be just I, a I rusted solid, rusted solid Oh, I'm sure it pipeline. is. Oh, I'm sure it is. It's <laughs> been buried for 30 years and, and just, yeah, it's not good. Right. But anyway, it's, I guess the basic message is, is that, you know, when something reliability related hits the news, it's an opportunity for a discussion do your homework, be prepared. What works? What, why are we avoiding that? Reinforce that. Or here's, we're on the same trajectory. We need to fix this. And it might be cultural. It might be how decisions are made and what's being rewarded or bonused or, or uh, what, what are the motivations? And it's, I think it's an opportunity to go back to that touchstone and saying, what are we really trying to do here? What's the right approach? And um, so, yeah, never let a good disaster go by. No worries. Yeah, I concur. <laughs> and it's just, but it all comes down to how you present it. I mean, yeah, definitely. Again, those reliability engineers, even if you're right, you can't go in there and say, you idiots didn't listen to me and this is going to happen to us. Yeah. Told you. Yeah. Told you. Yeah. I told you so. Okay. It doesn't work very far. Didn't work in kindergarten. Yeah. It doesn't work now. <laughs> no, but I suppose from the management side of the house, if you do have these reliability engineers or these risk engineers or these maintenance engineers telling you this stuff, the onus is on you. The onus is on you to, that's what you get paid the big bucks for, to make the risk-based decisions. And 
if you if you if you have a fleet of quality engineers and maintenance engineers and reliability engineers who feel like they give you sage counsel and they don't get listened to, guess what? They're going to find an organisation that listens to them, and you're going to be left with the dregs, so to speak, yep. who you're even less likely to listen to because they're even <laughs> they're even more. What's the word I'm looking for? Well, it could be hysterical or apathetic. It could go in either direction. Right. Yeah. Or just just pathetic. Yeah, well, there's a good word for it. Well, <laughs> our listeners are not pathetic because they're actually no, no. Know, obviously great folks. So anyway, this one made the news that thought, uh, this sounds like something we could talk about and uh, is some good examples there. So if you got some ideas or, you know, good disasters in your industry that you want to share, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. And you can find a couple of ways to get in touch with us there. There's um, LinkedIn and our about pages for Chris and I and the rest of the hosts of the show. Uh, plenty of ways for you to get in touch. And uh, I'm trying to think. I think that's it. I, I actually had to do just some deferred maintenance on my computer this morning. So it's all it, running. Yeah. Wipe the dust off of it. Not sure if that does anything, but. Well, you're exercising it. Well, exercising something at least. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, Chris, thanks for for the note, note uh, or the chat, and uh, I'll mm -hmm. keep an eye on what's happening in Jackson, your your namesake town there, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. Cheers, Fred. Always a pleasure. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.